Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Verdict Podcast. Uh, we have a very, very special guest from the film industry on today. But before we begin, we must talk about Flamank. I'm joined by my host, Ed Dempsey. Hello, Ed. Hi there. Uh, Flamank Law Society is a great opportunity if you're interested in the law or other you know, industries or job types like the law. And there's loads of great opportunities such as pub quizzes, uh, networking events, and just loads of other general cool stuff, isn't it, Ed? Yeah, I'd like to emphasise at the moment, though, at the time of filming, we're in a national lockdown. I don't know when this will be put out, but we'll either be in a national lockdown or still in a tier system. So we're trying to do a lot of online things so everybody can get involved at this point. We want to emphasise that even if you can't be there in person, you can still be there online. And that's just as good, in my opinion. All the pub quizzes are online. Pub quizzes are a bit more difficult, but we'll try and work out the complexities of that. Uh, but yeah, it's just fantastic society and I'd thoroughly encourage anybody, especially people inv- invested in the law, to get involved. So Ed, Ed, do you want to introduce our guest uh, today? So our guest today is Ray Burdus. He's uh, he's worked in the film industry for many years now. And um, if you'd like to say hello, Ray. Hello, everyone. Um, and so Ray, Ray uh, how many years have you worked in the film industry and, and how, how did you come about to, you know, kind of what, what what inspired you to get into the film industry? Well, I've been in the industry professionally for over 50 years. Um, I started very young. I, I was at, you know, I always hated school academically. I hated school, even from primary. Um, and I was always constantly at the age of about nine, working out ways how I could get out of lessons so feigning illness or whatever. And I worked out one day a good way of getting out of it was to be in the school play, you know, the Christmas play or the summer play, whatever. So I always offered myself up for that. And you had endless rehearsals. But I I actually quite enjoyed doing it, you know. Um, So upon leaving at the age of 11, leaving school, we... In them days, you had to take a very simple exam called the 11 plus, which was to, you know, help you get in to, to grammar schools or whatever. I failed that miserably, um, you know, and it was questions like, you know, if I dive off, you know, A, which is that yeah. high, B, yeah. that high, and C, I'll go more wrong, you know, spell orange and stuff like that. <laughs> so my mum was a bit dismayed, but my teacher... He was a very strict man, but I had a lot of respect for him, Mr. Stevens. Said to my mum, you know what, don't worry about Ray. He'll make his way in the entertainment business. And at that time, I mean, it was unheard of, you know, mm. what? Actors. And, you know, I, I, I was expressed a desire um, from early days that that's what I wanted to do. I really loved it. I loved being centre of attention and, you know, Easy peasy, you know, just do what you got to do. And my mum and dad were really against it. You know, all actors in them days, and forgive me for being non PC, you know, all actors are gay. Um, and that, that that was their opinion. And they're <laughs> <laughs> dead now, so they can't be strung up. Um, yeah. So going into secondary school, I went into a very, because I failed my 11 plus, I went into a very, very tough. Um, school called Islington Green, which was my local secondary modern school. Um, again, hated it. 
how do I get out of this, go into the drama group and do their school plays. And I've done Oliver. I played the Artful Dodger in Oliver. Mm. And, you know, it was not a bad production, to be honest. I was 11. And uh, this woman came up to me at the end and said, you really should come. If you like drama, you should come along to one of my drama classes. And um, this woman was called Anna Sherb. And I, I'll, I'll sort of build on Anna in, in a minute. And I sort of thought, well, I can't be bothered with all that. She said, just come along. You might like it. It's in the evenings and it's in a block of flats in a school hall. You haven't got to pay. If you haven't got any money, it's 10p if you can. And nothing, you know, if you can't. And, of course, I always said I couldn't, you know, spend the 10 pence on chocolate or whatever. And... Um, that was it. That was the start of my career, really. I started with Anna, and um, she set up a drama classes in the area to get kids like us off the street. Because at that time, um, there was no money. My parents totally skint. Mm. And we literally got by on, you know, nicking lead off roofs as kids, you know, over by the canals. And I used to love it all, you know. We'd done really quite yeah. big jobs, you know, stripping the warehouses and... It was yeah. a boat club and we used to nick the rowing boats, put all the lead in and dry them off, these 11-year-olds. To it's, interesting. it's interesting you say that because I think that um, I was listening to an interview with Tom Hardy once and he said that in his day, acting was a way for him to stop getting into a life of crime or get him off the street. And and he he argues that actually, you know, there was only those two choices and it kind of saved him. So do you... Do you consider yourself like acting was kind of your saving grace for a better life? Or do you think you would have been just fine? You could acting plenty of people, plenty of people, 99.9% in the same situation as I was and didn't go on to a life of crime. They went off to be plumbers mm. and painters yeah. and chauffeurs mm. and whatever. Um, there was a small minority. I mean, I... Funny enough, it's a very, very affluent area now, and I still live here in Islington. But then it was really rough. I mean, mm. highest murder rate in England and whatever. And I grew up in, in a community which actually was criminally based. Um, a, a lot of my friends have gone on to be, you know, I would never mention any names or whatever, but quite well-known crime figures and whatever. And I was always in that sort of, um, in that, around that sort of, those types of people. They were my mates, you know. I did look mm. at criminals and whatever. When I was nicking lead off roofs, that, to me, that was sort of just a laugh, you know. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't no mastermind. We just thought, nick lead, bring it up the scrapyard, get 50p and, you know, off you go and, and buy some sweets. Um, but a, a lot of my friends went on, to bigger stuff, my distraction was drama. I really liked it. And they did. They used to go, ooh, puffy drama and all that. Um, and I loved it. And then yeah. I went there and Anna Sure really saved, not saved, because I think that's such a cliched expression, but she showed us a different way of life. And a lot of people come out of Anna Sure's from that time period. You had the band Spandau Ballet, Gary and Martin, Bill Daniels, um, some great directors, you know, Joe Ryan, yeah. 
gone on to make up winning films and she'd give us all another avenue to, to take. And a lot of people, really talented people, dropped off along the way. It wasn't for yeah. them. And I always thought, bloody hell, you know, you, if you'd have kept going, you would have really done something. Yeah. Again, you know. I and was, uh, your, your, your area and, and your, the circumstances of your upbringing, do you think that was kind of uh, your, your inspiration behind, I think you directed The Craze, am I right? A film I, called I, The Craze? I produced The Craze. The, the produced, sorry, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so I started off really, I, I enjoyed comedy. Okay. Comedy. And at the age of, uh, you know, I was working professionally from the age of 11. You know, I was getting mm. paid £20 a week. No, a day, beg your pardon. £20 a day. Sort of Back in out. those days, that's 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 a really yeah. decent wage. Yeah. <laughs> sort of kind of <laughs> we want to do acting even more. Um, and um, I, I, sort of at the age of 16, I co-wrote a series called You Must Be Joking, which was very successful. It was on ITV at the time, and it was usually successful. It was children's television. But at that time, you used to come out from school, turn the telly on, and there it was. And so, wow. you know, I, that's, that, that, that was my roots. It was um, comedy-based drama. Mm. I was never going to be a romantic lead, but, you know, with a face like that, you know. What can you do? So anyway, that was my core. That was my core. So um, at the age of 20, 21, I got married and I realised that you couldn't rely on acting um, to be regular income, to be a regular income. Um, so I had to get another string to my bow. But remember, academically, I was useless. I mean, I, I'm a terrible speller. Thank God the spell check, which enables me to file. Um, so I went into production, you know, um, and we started doing pop promos. And at the time, that's, you know, a, a, a sort of area that was just blossoming. Um, bands were getting silly budgets, you know, up to 150 grand for a three-minute pop promo at the time. So we formed a company called Fugitive, um, which went on to be one of the largest video companies in the world, one of... Um, making all, you know, videos for Queen, Elton John, George Michael, Tina Turner. We've done, done the yeah, lot. You directed, you directed the, the Live Aid. Uh, no, not the Live Aid concert. Uh, the Queen, Freddie Mercury yeah. Memorial concert. And tribute, yeah, the Freddie Tribute. Yeah. I, I yeah. produced it for television. Yeah. Produced um, it, yeah. It went worldwide. And that was a big gig. But the connection there is uh, Jim Beach, the manager of Queen, become a partner of mine, um, even Fugitive. Um, so he trusted us to, to do the right thing, and that was really successful. So then, you know, music then was my next step up, um, and that was going great when we were earning lots and lots of money because, it, you know, we were getting paid 150 grand to do a three minute video, but really spending 50 grand and pocketing the 100. Yeah. So, in days was, you know, manna from heaven. Money was falling from the skies. But then the arse fell out of it when television realised, hang on, we're paying you to put your record, your video on our channel, you know, promoting your record, yeah. and we're paying you. No, it should be the other way around. The other way around. <laughs> and it, it overnight, um, they went from 150 grand 
to 15 grand budgets. And sort of our overheads, the way pop promos worked at the time is you'd have, we'd sign up four or five directors. And it was the directors that the record companies and the bands wanted, you know, but we had them signed to us. So our directors who had a small entourage, they would come up with the concepts for the promo, and we'd win the contract and we'd make it. Well, once the budget's went 15 grand and I've got an office full of people that I'm yeah. paying weekly wage and retainers and whatever, it didn't work. didn't work. So my partner at the time, we had to think, what do we do? So we thought, well, you know what, let's have a crack at trying to make a film, feature film. Okay. So, you know, there was no real other options. Hmm. Craze was the first one we tried. We, you know, we obviously knew about the craze and, and the legend or the folklore, whatever. Um, I had some connections that I knew I could get in contact with them in prison. Um, the book was great, Professional Violence, which the film was based on. And then at the time, and I hate this word, I hate words like this, no-brainer is one I... Yeah. <laughs> but we thought, you know, this has got a good commercial value. It hasn't, you know, a British gangster film really hasn't been done before, that contemporary, you know, mm. gangster. Yeah. And so, so I was just what was what was the step like from going from producing these music uh, pop pr- promos to actually sort of putting a film together, getting it going, you know, I assume there were whole intricacies with adapting the book into a feasible plot for a it, film. It was a huge learning curve that we had to yeah. learn quite quickly. But then because I was in, you know, an actor and I understood how production works and whatever, it made it slightly easier. The hardest part, of course, is raising the finance. Um, mm. What was good, because I had a stock of directors around me yeah. with conceptual artists who give them the ideas for the promos, one stood up and said, I said, we're looking for a script writer to write, write the script for the film, but we don't want it to be obvious scene one, bullet in the head, glass in the face. We want it to be some more cerebral than that. Yeah. And one guy stood up called Philip Ridley, um, who's gone on to do great things, made films, and, and, and he writes children's books, funny enough, very successful. He said, I'll have a go at that for nothing. You ain't got a problem. Give me a shot. And he come up with a brilliant script, which was, you know, um, instead of focusing on the craze and then strangling and stabbing people, it was sort of the matriarchal part about the women bringing up kids in difficult circumstances and, and what shaped them and whatever. Phil went on to be a huge success. You know, to this day, it's taken 100 million quid uh, worldwide. And at the time, it done 35 million at the box office, you know, worldwide. And, and that was, you know, we made it for 2.8 million. So it was quite a good earner. Wow. Wow. That's, that's phenomenal. It, the, it budgets, the budgets nowadays are completely insane. And I, is, that, is that, I'm assuming that's down to CGI and things like that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's insane in two ways. You've got the Hollywood yeah. insane where yeah. they hundreds of millions to make a film. Mm. You know, I remember making a, a film once and they was filming a, a stunt of Bond, you know, on, on the River Thames. So we all went down to have a look at this stunt. And someone pointed out to me, that stunt 
that one stunt is more than the budget of your film that you're making at the moment. Oh, my God. A bit gutted, but, you know, it is what it is. So you've got your 100 million end, and now, of course, nowadays, I don't know how people can do it. The budgets are down to 500 grand and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's just such a vast mm. difference. And that's why so I think you, we haven't got a chance, you know. Do you think, though, with the films that have the smaller budget, say the 500 grand ones, there are sort of crafty tricks of the trade that you just pick up where say instead of doing shoot shot where you film it from just the sky so you have to do everything you take certain shots that just emphasize different aspects of the stunt so you have to spend less on the whole thing do you think it's just a bit you learn how to adapt to the smaller budget <laughs> yeah over the year i mean as a writer you know i have to put sometimes put a producer's hat on and think hey yeah. i can't put a big car chase in here we won't have the money for it um, tricks of the trade yeah you have to be more economic with the way you shoot things and you have to talk to your directors and, and, and say look you can't do that you've only got an hour to get this scene in. Um, gone are the days of letting the director sit there and endlessly take after take after take with the actors only because the director's insecure you know uh, and that's what it is they're just insecure directors you know mm -hmm. and no move on Let's get the shot. Got it. Yeah. People do now. They're more savvy, tech savvy. I'm not. Um, <laughs> but young directors, as they're filming, they know. Don't worry about that, Ray, because we can paint that out, you know, yeah. in, in post and, and whatever. Yeah. The only thing, and again, I'm a believer the more, the larger the budget, the better the breakfast on set, because, you know, even at the low end, I'm sort of I'm, I make films sort of round about between one and a half to three million quid. That's sort of what I deal with. You go up and you get a ten million pound to make a film. It, it is you just get nicer cars. You're dropping all the cast in. It's wasted. It doesn't go on the screen. It goes. No, right. You know, and that's the first thing people ask me. You know, when I phone up, could be the cameraman, could be anyone. You know, you're available next week, do this film, it's going to be eight weeks, it'd be great fun. What's the budget, right? right. Now, I get that. If it's what's the budget, you know, if it's two bob and the film's going to look shit, well, that's going to, my name's going to go up there. Yeah. That ain't going to happen. But no, it's what's the budget because they adjust their fee accordingly. And I don't get that. I said, well, nothing's changed. You're yeah. doing the same job just because it's a bigger budget doesn't mean you're going to get a bigger fee, no. and, that, and that's the thing you battle against. You know, it's hard enough to raise money for films and make money for your investors. You have to keep a reality cap on it. You know, yeah. Because um, um, Quentin Quentin Tarantino he did uh, Reservoir Dogs on a tiny budget. What was a tiny budget? I think I think it was only in the thousands. I think it was like something ridiculous, like seventy thousand. I'm wary when I hear these figures flying about. Yeah, no, no, because I I heard that he spent all his money on Harvey Cartel, and then he basically had to make everyone wear their own suits because he couldn't afford to get costumes. Yes, and I do that a lot. Yeah, um, and 
and and it and it's a brilliant film. So I think the you know the idea that the bigger the budget, the better the film is just complete nonsense. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, help, obviously, but the the things with these films, what's that bloody awful film that made <laughs> shit loads of money? Um, Blair Witch. Blair oh. Project. Right. Yeah. Let me Not stick my finger down my throat for <laughs> but yeah. they're sort of bounding about it cost twelve grand or something like that. It didn't cost twelve grand. It, it looked like it cost twelve pence, you know. But <laughs> the fact is they shot it, the studio said, you know what, this ain't a bad film. Let's sling five hundred grand at it and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. And that's what happens. And you know, you no way Reservoir Dogs was made for a few thousand quid. No way. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just what I've been told. And and you might be right. He might have made it for a few thousand quid. Then a studio goes, you know what? This isn't too bad. We're going to throw this money at it. Just yeah. again, but better. Yeah. And it brings it up to spec and whatever. Spec. But I'm going to mention Blair Witch again anyway. Oh, yeah, please don't. I remember watching that when I was about 13 and I was, I was so disappointed. <laughs> everyone, everyone was talking about it and I was like, it's just some guy running around with, you know, yeah. cameras. <laughs> He's a crap. No, <laughs> yeah. no, so, so obviously you're in, uh, you're, you're talking about, you know, how uh, directors have become, you know, more modern, more tech savvy. You're, you're, in, you're in an industry that's experienced loads of, you know, a great deal of change over the last few years, especially with regards to Me Too, uh, you know, um, and, and racism and loads of different things. What, what do you think of how the, the direction that the industry is going? And are you happy with it? Are you sceptical? Do you have ideas or opinions about where it should go? Or uh, No, I think it's going in, in, in the right direction. I, you know, having grown up in an extremely racist environment, you know, at my school, Islington Green, it was blacks versus whites, and that's what it was. I was a great one, you see. I could jump from both sides because yeah. I was a comedian and, you know, I didn't yeah. want to get involved in all that crap. Um, yeah. But, funny, you know, when I went to drama, my drama group, everyone mixed from all races, you know, and, and no, no, didn't even think about it. Really didn't think about it until you went to school and it was peer pressure, you know. Mm. You were now gang or their gang or whatever. I've never witnessed racism in, in, in my 50-odd years in the business on set or, you know, when we're making a project. It's, I don't know whether it's an actor's thing, but I, I really haven't witnessed it. Um, I get the, you know, the, the balance now. Mm. I think that's right. They're getting the balance right. I think sometimes you can go overboard where the balance gets tipped, you know, you know, if you're making a film, you're making a film, you've got great actors out there, all colours, all shapes, all sizes. Um, I've never witnessed it. I've never, never witnessed it. Now, perhaps because I'm ignorant or, or, or I've missed something or, you know, whatever. Or, or do, you, do you think an aspect of it could be that Hollywood's obviously, when people think movies and stuff, and not to take away from British films, but everyone tends to think Hollywood, the big theatre productions, do you think mm. an aspect of it could be that obviously... Racism's a bit more of a polarizing concept in America. Do you think it's just it's not focused off over there? Because it'd be naive to say that. But do you think it's just a bigger problem over there, so it gets placed on the industry as a whole? I, to, yeah, I do. 
I think it is a problem in America, and I think we see what's going on now. Yeah. With the Black Lives Matter, people get, you know, shot. Yeah. And, you know, millions of people get arrested. And what, what happened yesterday is bloody ridiculous. But yeah, ju just for reference, the um, attack on the US Capitol building yeah. was yesterday. Oh, yeah. For the people watching. Yeah, a timeline thing. But the... Um, yeah, I suppose, look, it's obviously a problem because yeah. a lot of good people have come up and spoke up about it in the industry. Personally, I haven't witnessed it. But, I, you know, I make two Bob British films and, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm not out in Hollywood hobnobbing it with, you know... <laughs> I really can't believe it. It must yeah. be from the producer's side because I can't see the actors... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it's who, whoever's in charge of of casting and 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 all that because I th I think as you were saying, you know, in your drama class, once everyone's on set, everyone's working towards a common goal of getting this project done to the best of their ability. Yeah. So it must be maybe you know like as as the word the phrase is institutional racism or whatever when you know black. Uh, uh, black, black Americans aren't getting the opportunities that white Americans are to act in certain roles, maybe. But I just wanted to move on to, uh, I want to hear your opinions on films like Ghostbusters, Ocean's Eleven being remade with an all-female cast. I, I wanted to hear your opinions on that. I, don't, I really haven't got an opinion. I think they're great brand, you know, great franchise, whatever. I don't get all this all-female cast thing. Um, yeah. Then I suppose if I say that, am I being, well, it's not right, feminist, I don't know what you call it. What's it? Uh, what's it? Uh, sexist, I think. Sexist. But I, I, don't think, I don't think by saying that at all is it, 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 sexist. I'm sure some people would consider it sexist. But do you, I, I, I'm of the opinion that I think women should be, uh, you know, have starting up their own franchises and doing all these great things. But maybe remaking old films that have had all-male casts is not the answer. Maybe it's starting a strong female franchise on its yeah. own. Fresh. Rather than, yeah, yeah, fresh and new, you know. Rather than just going, but yeah, because they're just going over the old stuff, and they should be maybe saying, you know, we've created this brand new franchise which is powered by a female protagonist, and it does really well at the box office, and it creates a fresh perspective on the industry. But I, I think absolutely agree. Rather than look, we can yeah. do it much better than you can. Yeah. You know, so yeah, come up with something. I, I, th I think a great link to that as well is um, obviously Ghostbusters and all of those series are American, but I think a British reflection of that would be whether or not James Bond should be female because I think the inherent character of James Bond is a suave British spy. I think race doesn't matter as much, but I think the gender of James Bond being this suave spy is so ingrained in the character that making him female or would just fundamentally change the series as a whole. It would completely, it would completely change it. What they need to do is they need to go. Okay, we're going to create a brand new spy franchise. Nothing to do with James Bond. Nothing to do with 007 Obviously or whatever. Or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because James Bond, James Bond is a male character. <laughs> like there's, 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 there's one now, couldn't it? 
could be a woman dressed as a man. You know, it could be, but why not make a completely different franchise for that? I'm joking, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who become a woman? You know, I thought, oh no, it's not the same. But <laughs> but Doctor Who, Doctor Who is it is a is a gender neutral, uh, you know, name. James yeah. Bond is 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 a yeah. is a male name, and I'm not saying that you know women can't play males. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just thinking for the sake of the franchise and its success, and for the sake of feminism and and you know going against sexism, it might be better if they started a fresh franchise. Than, you know with a new storyline, a new plot, rather than just overtaking and replacing James Bond with a woman. It just doesn't really make sense to me. Like, like what you say, the oceans are never yeah. that. It, it, you're absolutely right, I think so. And it'd be more respected because then when we look at these things, if there was a female James Bond, well, we'd be looking to tear it apart anyway, wouldn't we? You know, yeah, good, I, yeah, yeah, a good example, I forgot to say, is Wonder Woman. Now that... Wonder Woman traditionally was, you know, a sidekick in quite a few of these, a sidekick to Superman or whatever in quite a few of these comic books. But what they've gone and done is they've gone and taken Wonder Woman, made it a massive franchise, and Chris Pine, who's who's, who's the male lead in that film, he's the one that's getting protected and cuddled by by Wonder Woman. And that's a great way. I'm not sure how strong an analogy that is because I... it's going to sound kind of... Yeah, it's a woman. No, I read quite a lot of comic books it's just in my free time. And Wonder Woman's actually quite a strong female character in DC Comics. She's been around since, I want to say the 1940s. She's one of no, the oldest be characters about right. there. You'd be about right. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, she was in, uh, She was created by the person that created the um, lie, uh, the polygraph test. But um, she, she, I think she's different, though, because she's a fun, fundamentally, she's a strong female character on her own. She represents the struggles yeah. that women go through in society. I don't know if that's necessarily a good comparison, but I think other comparisons you can draw in the comic book world would be more along the line of sidekicks that are female. So, like, there's Huntress in Batman. There are Robins that have been female in Batman, and they're sort of more marginalised, but they can still have strong roles within their own rights. Yeah. I, I think that's more of the comparison that should be drawn but just, I, I think, getting back to the conversation at hand, it's, um, of I think we've discussed the racing industry, but more related to Me Too and how that's affected it. Obviously, having produced films and stuff, you've probably worked alongside people who I'm not saying were involved with the Me Too movement. But how, just how do you think it's affected the industry in terms of the casting process or just being more aware of how people need to be treated within the industry? I knew Harvey Weinstein. Um, oh, right. Oh, right. I think they took the craze for America. And I met him numerous occasions. And he was always bang out of order every, every single Really? Time. Wow. Yeah. Now, you're going to hear this from a lot of older people, but around the time, the 90s is when I sort of knew him most. Um, okay. That's a dreadful thing to say, but it was kind of acceptable. You know, the boys to be boisterous. It is dreadful, but I understand why you're saying it. It's because what, what everyone says. Yeah, and I have bring a very, context. very dear close friend of mine, and uh, who will remain nameless, but she said to me, so you're doing a picture deal with Harvey Weinstein? I said, yeah, you know, want to sign up a two-picture deal. And she goes, he raped me. And I went, oh, 
bollocks, you know. And I just thought, I really did think, go away, you're being neurotic, you're making it up, you're being dramatic or whatever. Well, you know what? It transpires it was true. Um, but I do remember, even at the time, me thinking, you're bang out of order, mate. You know, the way you're treating these women, staff, being quite lewd and crude and, you know, sort of an Islington boy, you know, you don't talk in front of people like that or, or mention these things. And he did. I spotted it then. I spotted it in a lot of people in my career who's now mm. transpired and a lot of them have done time over it. Um, I think Me Too was a great thing to happen. It needed to happen. And it makes me feel bad that really... You know, you can go, it's not only men, you can go to women who spotted it years ago, mm. you know, quite famous ones, and, and they say we didn't say anything about it at the time because it's what sort of happened at the time. Right. Oh, you look at Love Thy Neighbour. Do you remember Love? You might not remember it, but it was about a white guy and his neighbour was a black guy next door. And, and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, think I saw like, that know, with my mum, actually. Yeah, you know calling yeah. them Nick Nog and all that and Whitey. And, Jesus Christ, how did they get away with that in that time? <laughs> well, you know, it was the time. It was the time. Yeah. And, and, and films like uh, uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. I don't know if, yeah, I was just, I, I, I saw it a couple of years ago and I, I went, what? <laughs> I just what? couldn't believe it. I said, they're saying this on screen? That's oh, no. uh, Look, I've done, uh, I've done a series called Operation Good Guys. And yeah. um, it's it become quite a cult thing and, you know, a lot of young people tune into it now, but I cringe at some of the things we've done. And it, it, oh, it, no. Someone sent me a photo in one episode. My boss and myself, two police officers, you know, wanted to get out in the community and let them feel that, you know, they can trust the police. So in order to do this, we went into a heavily black area. We blacked up. And oh. we blacked up and big, big zone and things like that. And that, but at the time, yeah. everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. But now I cringe, of course, and try and desperately erase these photographs off. I, I just want to go go back to uh, um, the, the the at the time with the Me Too movement. Uh, do, do you? I'm assuming you know Pinewood Studios. Yeah, yeah. So my my grandma worked at Pinewood Studios. Um, and you know, with 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 all the actors, and uh, how do I put this politely? My grandma, you know, is quite well chested, um, and lots of the act, the male actors at the time would go, oh, "I'll get me Sheila because she's you know well chested, or whatever, a more cruder version." And yeah. I'm just thinking that kind of speaks to the culture of at the time that you know, yeah. kind of women were there to be sexualized and made to look like kind of an object rather than their own, you know, kind of professional right. career, yeah. Indeed, and it was that women themselves went for it, you know. It, it, it was, they weren't forced into it. It was just the time. And, and I think it was uh, the actor, what's what's his name? You'll, you'll know him, Ray, uh, the one that did Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier. Yes. I think. Yes, okay. yeah, he, it was him. He was always the one. Uh, apparently, that was uh, over-sexualising women and asking for certain waitresses and giving them big tips for certain things. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it, I guess it was of the time. Um, it's of the time. It'll still go on. Don't worry yeah. about that. It will still go on, but it'll be a bit more discreet. And um, 
it, you know, it wasn't a sin in them days to do it. I don't think you should harp back on that and just say, look, let's educate people now that yeah. that's not acceptable and, and, and we move forward. I hate it when people go back and back and back. You go, well, I'm sure if you go back to Henry VIII times, it was far worse then, you know. Yeah. It, it's more about understanding it within the context and then either apologising or just making people aware that it's not right, but at the time it was and that it isn't going to happen again. It's more Move about on. just Let's moving on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I've just got a very a very closed question uh, for you, Ray, um, and I have to ask it very, very carefully. Um, but I want to know, with regards to the Me Too movement, now, so after, you know, after we've had the Harvey Weinstein debacle and all that's, all that's you know, all justice has been seen to a certain extent. Do you think the Me Too movement has become a strong, empowering movement and is staying like that? Or do you think it's become a witch hunt? It, it, it's, I think it's the right thing they've done. I really, really, really back the girls. I really do. It's difficult, man, because in them days, not so long ago, Someone like Harvey, click his fingers and your career's finished. Absolutely. Yeah. As, as producer or writer and director, you're finished. And, and, and they've gone a long way to break down that thing. I think you have to be careful because a lot of people, just like that Trump debacle, the raid, mm. raiding of, of Capitol Hill, you know, um, people, the wrong type of people latch onto movements like that. Yeah. And they're the people you've got to be wary of. And, you know, uh, this is true. I was in a local pub before lockdown and um, there was a girl sort of acting a bit strange in the bar. She was just sort of walking up and really acting weird, you know, and I was with a couple and I said, look at her over there. And then she'd come over to the table, you know, looked in my face, go, you want to take a picture? And I said, what? you want to take a picture or something? I said, well, not of you, love. You're not my type. <laughs> when, uh, misogyny. I didn't even know what that word that meant, you know. Misogyny. Misogyny. And so, then she had a couple of mates. Very, you know, well, you can't even say the words now that I would normally say, but dress more like men than they are, you know, like women. Androgynous. Filming it, you know. And goading me and saying something, which I did, right? I won't say the words that I used, but they're highly un-PC. And then okay. we laughed and they actually... Just to be clear, you don't have to be strictly PC on this podcast. You can say what yeah. you like. Yeah. I'll just, you know, I won't because it might offend some... Yeah, some, yeah. Good, yeah. good decision. <laughs> it certainly offended them, but they made a great point if we got it on film. And I then thought about it and I thought, you know what, I'm stupid right? I'm an actor, you know, it has value if you put that tape up on YouTube and that could affect my career. So I should have bit my tongue, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're the type of people you have to be careful of. You know, they're, they're the ones that are stoking. Go, goading you into Goading, goading into yeah. it. And that, that's why I do hope the girls, me too, and people that are sort of, there must be an administration of it, mm. Keep an eye on it, you know, and don't let yeah. the wrong people latch onto it. 
Because it also diminishes the movement, doesn't it? Because yeah. I guess if you, I mean, I was watching a, a a show a while back about American universities, and it was about men who had been falsely accused of rape by women. Yeah. And essentially, what happened to them was they got acquitted in court, but they missed two years of college because of it, and their careers were finished. Because thing- even even if you get accused of it and you're acquitted you're finished there's there's nothing and it 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 actually down it 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 trods on and besmirches the stories of people who have actually have been raped yeah because it's like why are you joining in in this movement when you've just made that up so that's i've never understood why if if women are found to be lying that they don't get the same sentence as the bloke would have got if he'd have got sentenced you know, yeah. why didn't she get put away for eight years or whatever? And there is the thing, once you've been tarred with a brush, mate, even yeah. me, you know, you say there's no smoke without fire, and you do. And you do. It's a natural thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's a terrible thing. It's awful. I don't even like thinking about it, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. so when you were you, – you mentioned when you were, um, first started acting uh, – um, like actors were considered by you know your mother's generation as you know homosexual or or, or yeah. whatever whatever word you you want to use for it that's politically correct. I apologise if I was wrong there. Um, but what do you think about uh, moving off the Me Too movement to the the LGBTQ movement within the acting industry? Because I know for a fact, you know, especially I'm in the in the musical industry. There's loads of um, members of the LGBTQ. <laughs> of the LGBTQ plus community that are being very successful in the arts industry at the moment. Do you think that's also another good movement for the acting industry or do you think it's... I think it's a good movement, right? I'm not smiling. Look, in in our drama group, we had blacks, Chinese, whites, gays. I don't think we had any transsexuals at that stage, but... We all got on like a house on fire, man, and we all loved mm. each other and whatever. And I remember going, I done a, a um, TV series called Triangle, where I was on a boat, months on a bloody sailing ship, going from Sweden, there, right. you know, in, in a triangle thing. And my dresser was by day called Alan, right? And so the first day I go, a dresser's person comes in, has all your clothes for the set, yeah. you know, make sure they're all ironed and look after me. And Alan was a lovely guy. And they said, look, don't go to the public bar where all the punters on the ship, go to the crew bar at night because it's better and it's quieter. <coughs> so I did. And when I went in, it's one of these big burly sparks electricians, you know, on the set with a really good looking girl on his knee, you know, and I took a double double glance at her and double take and I goes, Alan. And she went, no, Arlene, darling. So at night, Arlene, and in the day she was Alan. We had a great laugh with her, you know. There's nothing, you didn't think anything of it whatsoever. Mm. Um, Again, you know, with the LGBT or whatever it is movement, I get where they're coming from, but there are wrong people in there as well. You yeah. know, latching onto it and going too far and ramming stuff down your throat. I should rephrase that, I suppose. But the, <laughs> no, the, thing, is, the thing is, 
any movement's good, right? If it's, yeah. if it's for the right cause, it's you've well, got well managed. Who latches into it and how they're manipulating it? Mm. I, I, I'd just like to, I think a current uh, sort of thing of that is um, there was a movie released recently called Prom. I don't know if you've heard about it. I think it has Meryl Streep and a bunch of people in it, but there's a character that's gay and it's sort of like his, I haven't watched it, but I, I was reading an article and I think it's about him coming out and accepting who he is in the world. It's played by James Corden, who himself isn't gay. Do you think, in the movie industry, do you think there's some credit to always casting people that fit the role as in to cast a gay person, you need someone who is themselves gay? Or do you think... It's more just about the credits. That's, of that's the a actor. good question. The credits, the actor, how how they're able to portray that character, no matter whether or not they are themselves related to the character. In that sense, I mean, it's a very good, interesting question. You know, obviously, I mean, years ago, wasn't it? You'd have um, Ben Hur, or I don't know, some bloody film with uh, an, an Indian in it, an Indian chief, and it's played by John Wayne. You know, who's sort of got. Yeah, dies and blacked up and stuff like that. Well, obviously that's wrong. You know, you know if the character's Indian, you you, you get an Indian actor in. You know, or that they actor now. I'm, I'm not sure what. So, but the um, as far as playing a gay role and you're straight, I think that's fantastic. You know, it's a fantastic challenge for yeah. the actor, um, and it's acting for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brokeback Mountain with Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Yeah, they yeah. were both straight, playing playing gay people. Yeah, and um, what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? And where is the world coming to, or what is it all coming to? If if you take that away, yeah. uh, you know, and that that's that's what worries me really. It, it it can go too far, and you'll have such a sanitized fucking world, you know, <laughs> of films that. Um, it ain't worth going to see. You might as well go out on the street and have a look around, you know, and look at reality. You know, we're creating illusions and stories and, you know, with depth. Um, yeah, no, I think that conversations like this are great because, you know, I mean, I could tell when you're, when you're speaking, it's, it's from the point of genuine honesty, which, which in, a, in a politically correct world now, you know, where people are literally getting cancelled online, I mean, you, you, you know, a famous person puts a tweet. There are these people on Twitter that will literally go, I, I don't like what he said. They'll get all their little friends and then they'll go, we're going to cancel this person. And they will literally just bombard with it. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. I mean, I think I've said it many times on the podcast. And You know Ricky Gervais? Yes. Um, have you ever met him? No. Oh, that's a shame. I, I like Ricky Gervais. I've I've seen Ricky Gervais. I was I've, I was in the car with my mum. I just had a haircut. I was on the the way back from a haircut, and I I was in Marlow, which is where he lives, and I saw Ricky Gervais walking along the road with his uh, partner, and uh, I said, "Mum, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out the window," and she said, "Whatever you do, don't do that. Famous people don't like that." And I I went, but I've got really I've got something really funny to say. Anyway, uh. I wind down the window and mum was like, no, no, don't do it, Linus. And I shout, oi, shouldn't you be at Wernham Hog? And uh, 
he uh, he turns around and he just put his middle finger. <laughs> I think he I think he told me to f off. Um, but I I love I love Ricky Bates because his his idea of, of Twitter and, and what he talks about in his stand up is is just you know these people have nothing better to do but to criticise and make make reasons to hate other people. And yeah. I think that I think a politically correct world is good, but cancel culture is shocking. Uh, yeah, I, I think a politically correct world is good if it ain't gone bunkers, you know. Um, yeah. Like you say, you know, you like my honesty and whatever, but there's still a little switch in here going, hang yeah. on, you don't quite actually say what you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's we're getting edited more and more and more, you know. Where is it going to end is my... I, I, I think it comes down to... I think in general sort of discourse when people are talking to each other, I I don't necessarily agree with the term fully, but I think there's sentiments like boys will be boys where everybody goes, looks at him and goes, oh my God, that's awful. You know, it's encouraging masculinity, you know, on rugby teams and stuff like that. It's awful masculinity. I've been part of a few rugby teams and it's sure it's masculinity, but it, it's sports. There's context to it. It's yeah we do want to go out there and we want to tackle people and play rugby, but there's women that play the same sport. In fact, it's masculinity. It's just so much as theirs is femininity. It's just different. It's when I say boys or boys, I'm saying that as rugby lads, we want to sure go out, have a drink and then do stupid stuff, not, you know, illegal stuff and stuff that's wrong for the most part. I do know some people that have maybe crossed the line here and there and it's not great, but you know, I think, PC's good up until the point where actually you're not discussing the issues anymore. You're looking for the issues. And I, I think that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. People are out to find negativity. They're out, yeah. they're out to look look for something wrong. And I one of my favorite songs ever is Politically Incorrect by Tom McDonald, where he says, uh, he says a line, he says, People are so focused on being helpless victims that they could crash a plane and blame the road conditions. So it's like it's one of those things where people are just complaining and whining, and it's annoying. It, like you brought up the Twitter police and things. I've got a friend, a really dear friend of mine, but I find it very difficult to have a conversation with him because he's so into politics, right? And he's yeah. very, you know, very socialist and whatever. And I, I'm in the thing, you know. I, I'm fluid, man. I'm fluid. I want everyone to... to just to, just quickly, what's your political party? Do you associate with one? I don't. If, if you feel, okay. If you feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, cool. I, 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 honestly, it's the party of Ray Burdis I'm up for. And, yeah. And, and, <laughs> Same. Yeah. You know what? I like helping people. You know, I, I, I'm a volunteer at the hospital and I, I do my little uh-huh. bit um, of thing. But what I don't like, you know, I've got a mate who's a real, real lefty. Yeah. And all he must do is all fucking day is sit there and, and you know, he lives in France. He used to be, I used to live in France. He was a, a neighbour and he, really, 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 really lovely person. But uh, all the communication, I say, look, I don't do politics. I don't do it because of the times I've fallen out with people over politics and... Um, he won't have it. He said, but surely you've got a view. But I'll go, but every time I give you my view, you, you tell me why it's wrong. <laughs> really attack. I mean, really attack. And 
punching the table and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, 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 I made a comment to him just before Christmas. You know, you were saying about Britain's heading towards a car crash with Brexit and, and whatever. And I, number one, I think, well, you live in France, so what are you bothered about anyway? And yeah. number two, I just said to him, why don't you just relax, you know, enjoy your lunch and you'll live longer? Of course, that didn't go down too well. I don't know whether he's still <laughs> But people are just negative and then look at the negativity. And he asked me how I feel the way it's going in Britain. I said, well, well I can't change anything, mate. It is what it's going to be. And um, let's see how Brexit plans out. I, for one, was up for Brexit. Mm. I was up for it. Um, dangerous. But let's see. Let's see how we get on. Um, right, I, I think both me and Ed kind of weren't, but I mean, at the end of the day, we have to be politically neutral on this, and I think it is what it is now, and people have just got to try and make the best of whatever situation that may come I, around. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine saying I would remain, but I, yeah. I don't have an issue with people that would leave. I think politics is a very personal thing. I think when you tell somebody your political views, you should, unless they are, awful and obviously there are some people with awful political views but i think they should be respected in the sense that yeah you can have a debate if i don't ask for a debate i'm not going to debate with you because i just can't be asked to be honest that's your opinion i have my opinion and the discussion let's talk about something else so i don't have a problem with the people that voted leave just as much as i hope they don't have a problem with people that remote voted remain no what was quite funny is my my brother i know you won't mind me saying he voted to leave right <laughs> And then when they announced it the next morning, he goes, oh, I wish I never voted now. I, I couldn't think that would win. <laughs> yeah, well, that says it all, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I, I'm up for it. And, and, and um, let's see how it goes, for God's sake. The country existed without a union for thousands of years. I mean, you know, let's see. I, think I mean, I mean it. Ed, Ed and I, Ed and I, you know, could say we remain. As a, a few other people could say, 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 oh, you know, we'll leave. At the end of the day, I, this thought just occurred to me. Whoa, you know, what the fuck do we know? Like, I've just thought about it, like, how are we going to know what what is good for our, our country? You know, no, I, am I going to read through every page of our EU agreement we've currently no. got and go? Go with that's the, the one for us. Go with the flow. And a lot yeah. of young people, and I understand it. You know, voted remain because all they're worried about is they're you know getting into Europe and, and free travel around Europe. Really, yeah. if you boil it down, that's all it is. And their ability to go and work behind a bar out in France or something. And yeah. and I know I'm not wrong when I say that. I don't know. Who who knows? I, I've got friends that are top economists, you know, and they say that we we'll, <laughs> don't know. We'll have to see how it pans out. And it'll be yeah. fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, I, mm. I think it'll all work out for the best. Um, I was just, because uh, I'm not sure how much longer we're going to be talking about, I just wanted to bring up something else that I think it'd be, it'd be a miss not to mention with the in the movie industry anyway. It's obviously, we're in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. It's just, how do you think that's affected the movie industry from your roles within the movie industry to say, acting, having to wear masks on set, all of that stuff. How do you think it's fundamentally affected the industry? I think it's, it's strange. You know, it's strange 
when you're on set and they've got blokes. On the big films, my brother's, he, he, my brother works, he's an um, electrician, you know, does the lighting on films. He does all the big ones. He wouldn't touch mine. I can't afford him. But uh, they've actually got a bloke going around with a pole. You know, it's a bit like, do you remember those bloke, blokes in the plague times with these big masks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Death masks, yeah. Making sure you're all two metres away. Um, it's strange, but you've got to do it. Uh, you've got to look after people and make sure they don't get sick. Yeah, the industry, it's, it's a weird one. You know what? I think it's given the industry a shake-up that it needed um, because I don't care what anyone says. It, we were heading down the route of video on demand, you know, the Netflix, the Amazons. We Oh, down. Netflix wins. You know... Netflix, just like Amazon, you know, saw this pandemic and thought, brilliant. I love this. Oh, I mean, I think I've done Netflix. I'm, I'm looking for, I've watched everything. But, yeah. you know, the film industry, what, what happens as a producer, I make a film. I've got one there now sitting on the shelf ready to go. You know, we can't release it yet. But you put a film out um, at my budget level, in theatres, you never make money. You will never make money theatrically because the theatres take the hot lion's share of the money. All right. What we use that for, what, why a producer puts it in theatrical theatres is to advertise the film so it gets critically acclaimed or disclaimed yeah. so the public know it's there and then they hopefully will go out and pay nine quid to download it or buy a DVD, which are things of the past. So that's been taken away now. We're not forced to do it. Sky wouldn't touch one of my films unless it went out theatrically in at least 50 or 100 cinemas. But now it's gone out the window. So that's a good thing for filmmakers because you've got more, you can walk in now to Sky, you can walk in to Netflix, you can walk into Amazon and, and you know, say, will you take my film? Uh, they're, they're all looking for content. So he was heading that way anyway. So you, you know. think, I know some directors in America, like um, I think when Tarantino's one of them, actually, they have a big problem with, I think it's called HBO Max, because they've got a bunch of films that they were going to release in theatres. And I'm sure for the bigger budget films, it's maybe a bit more of an issue budget-wise, because theatres do make like billions in some of them. But so you actually think it's a good thing that now we've sort of, let's say, steered into the skid and we're just going with it and the coronavirus gave the push that was needed to finally accept it. Because it was happening. Look, yeah. you know, white cinemas up the road, they're all become these posh ones, really lovely, yeah. well-seated, all these drinks <laughs> and food, which is great. Um but I was thinking, this is a bit weird. How are they going to make money out of this? So they saw it coming as well, you know, the Odeons and, and whatever. Um, and, you know, they had the good times. And, and to put a film on, for instance, it, if I want to put a film on in 100 cinemas, right, I have to roughly work it out that I've got to pay a £1,000 a cinema to advertise it properly, right? So that's 100000 I've got to pay, not the cinemas, to advertise it, put posters out and, you know, yeah. TV ads and stuff like that. And then when the, the box office ticket money comes in, they don't care about my expenses. They take their 60% off the top and whatever. 
by the time a distributor then takes his chunk, the producer gets jack shit. Yeah. You know? But at least when it goes on video on demand, it's very well policed because it's all digital and you can see there's no advertising costs because you've got Sky, Netflix, they advertise it themselves. Mm. So it's, a, it's better for people like me. The big budget boys, it's a different matter, you know, like they do make hundreds of millions on release. Um, mm-hmm. But they've got to rethink that. I mean, I'm mind-boggled about, you know, when The Irishman just come out, I think it was on Netflix. Oh, it was crap. Yeah, it, well, I, I didn't enjoy the film. Same old, same old, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was a lesser Goodfellas casino and uh, what else has Scorsese done? I don't know. One of his other films, um, The Departed. It was like it was it was like a lesser version of those films. I just think same old, same old. It's jumping yeah. in the park. It's an old industry term where you 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 know fucking hell, let it go, boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then when you see these outrageous heads that are obviously not the real heads, the, the age reduction and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah. I was shocked that that film went straight to Netflix. And um, that was the beginning. That was the first. And now... It was. The- it was the first a big... But, I mean, Netflix has been doing doing films on there, originals, since, I think, 2017 yeah, but- was its first one. But the first big... Oh, but, I mean, has- Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci in a film, that mm. was the big yeah. step. You mentioned... Ed mentioned uh, Quentin Tarantino. I think that his main... Uh, what what he's against Netflix for is because he's got he, he basically is a the what you know a great director because he spent his whole life watching films and I think he remembers the times in the cinema and and you can tell how much he loves cinema when he makes films. Did you see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ray? No, you know what I haven't. That's Absolutely. brilliant. It's that's a good film. brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, and I think you can tell his his love. For cinema, but it's interesting. You think that cinema is diversifying in a good way, and that Netflix. Do you think that this Netflix thing is a good thing just because of the benefits it, it reaps you, or do you think it's it was just inevitable and it was always going to happen? Like, you know, yeah. my son will watch a film on the phone. You know, um, people do. They 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 don't want to go to the cinema. I, I love the cinema myself. I absolutely love it. The whole bit and going in. Sneaking your food in, you know, because it's too expensive to buy in. Yeah, they've got their own little economy in there. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I love it all, but the reality is things change, man, and and technology changes, and we've got to get, we've got to roll with it. But young people don't go to the cinema. They don't. Yeah, I do. I I think a good comparison to draw there as well is the sort of pub industry. It's nobody goes, well, some people still go to the pub if you're still quite into drinking and going out. But pubs are dying out because fundamentally you can still buy booze and meet up with your friends at home and it's cheaper. Supermarkets have lower prices. I think I that's sort think of pubs sim- are dying out. Like thousands of pubs get closed every year. It's a problem <clears throat> at the moment in the pub. Well, that's very interesting because I like a drink. I think I'm quite known that I like a drink. Um, <laughs> But it's amazed me, really, that, um, you know, we do, we meet around each other's houses and we buy some cans and, you know, we're doing the right thing, socially distanced. 
and yeah. all that. It's so cheap. I mean, yeah. you know, you have a good piss up and only spend 12 quid on a bag of cans. And it's really made me think, Jesus, um, how much have I been spending in pubs? Um, exactly. You know, my local... The, the, I drink in the Witherspoons. That's the one I enjoy drinking. But when you take the, your other half out, uh, it's in one of these trendy bars, <laughs> seven pounds a pint. Yeah. Yeah. But my bar bill's gone down to, to next to zero. And it's making me think, and it's making a lot of my friends think, we should do this. It's much more fun with sitting in our own environment, not worried about a nutter coming through the door, which in Witherspoons that happens quite a lot. <laughs> You know, and putting you on edge for the rest of the evening, I think it will really affect the already affected pub industry. I think you're going to be shocked at how many go down the pan after this. Well, when you get off to the races, you know, you you know, you're you're four or five beers down, you're like, here we go, you know, whatever. You've had like a few shots. If you're at home, guess what? Your bedroom's like, four or five steps away and just like when it's over you're like and then you go to bed and you pass out and that's it the, the, the thing of it's brought a lot of people closer together around each other's houses sometimes not quite sticking to the rules but not having a super party we're talking about six or eight people bit of dinner some drinks and so you know what we really enjoyed that it was relaxed you know yeah. and I, I noticed it um I'll have to say a friend of mine, okay, <laughs> went to a pub that's open illegally. Yeah, I've heard about these. And yeah. uh, he, he went in and the first round of drinks he bought was 50 quid. So he goes, I've done 100 quid in a couple of hours. What's the point? We're not going exactly. go on and spend 12 quid on a big bag of Strongbow. So I'm, wait and see. Watch this space, man. It's going to be yeah. when we come out. That, that, that's why I think it's a good comparison with the movie industry because cinemas, it's extortionate. Like obviously, oh, it's the, ridiculous. Yeah, obviously the platforms. I remember Mulan came out on Disney, uh, Disney Plus, and it was thirty quid or something to buy it. That's ridiculous. Obviously, that's just the learning curve. Eventually, it'll come down. I know Amazon Prime; you can rent movies for a lot less than that. Some of them are like pound fifty, and they're decent movies. It's really cheap. I think the cinema, it's not going to become obsolete because obviously people still do love going to the cinema, but I think it's just going to sort of wane in the face of the platform uh, services. What's, what's going to happen is it's going to become, and I know exa- I know this is going to happen. I'm very <laughs> certain about this. It's going to become, all cinemas are going to become gold-class cinemas. So they're going to be luxury cinemas with few seats, cost a lot of money. They're, they're going to start re-showing classics. Like it'll be our oh, Pulp Fiction night for 50 quid. You get a bowl of champers, a burger, and this and that, and your, your chair's back. And that is what cinema will then become. It will become a luxury product rather than... Because at the moment, the prices are ridiculous. I don't... I, the last time I went to the cinema, I, I think I went with my girlfriend. I was booking the tickets online. And I afterwards, it put a hole in my wallet. Yeah. By the time you've got the popcorn... It's like, oh God, it's a bit of a financial burden right here. And yeah, and you don't know what to expect as well. The cinema is Netflix. You know, you see the short, you're like, yeah, this is what. And if I don't like it, guess what? I can just change to. And that's how it is. That's how, that's how younger people 
operate. It's if I don't like it, you don't grab me in the first five minutes, mate. I'm off. And yeah, off. because because yeah. we want now, whereas the older generations they want soon. So so for us, it's like uh, you know, oh, I'll be over soon. No, no, I, I want you here now. And, you know, oh, we watch a minute, uh, a movie in an hour. No, let's watch one now. I can just put it on now. We, our attention span is so short that Netflix is just completely overtaking. I mean, you go in a, you go in a cinema and, and you've got to watch the shorts. Uh, I mean, my mum still watches mainstream TV. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I've never I even, know. I haven't watched mainstream TV well, in years. I'd have a TV licence. Yeah. <laughs> Who needs one? I know. Um, you've got right. Even BBC now, they're not even releasing their series is actually on the TV. They're just going, you can go straight onto iPlayer and binge watch it now. And it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's a changing game. But, you know, it's an easy one, really, to get into. It's working out the sums. Yeah. Like today now, I, I don't know how the sums work out. I don't know how Netflix can afford to put The Irishman on. How much, Jesus, did that cost to make and that... You know, I don't know, but we, we we'll learn. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Well, their distribution's also cheaper as well, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Like I say about the costs, they advertise themselves, and you know, distributors are renowned for ripping producers off. They'll say, "Yeah, we spent." Um, it happened to me. We had a party in Cannes on Love on and a Bay. Um, and we paid for it ourselves, and it cost 50 grand to put the party on. And um, about three months later, we got a bill from the distributor for 50 grand. And we go, no, we paid that. We actually paid that. And they were arguing. We, we paid it. You know, and that's, that's how they do it, creative accounting. Oh, we had a party in Hollywood, cost 300 grand. How do I prove it? And they can come up with the receipts. You know, they're well-versed in doing it. So it cuts mm. out all that and makes it better for the filmmakers, the producers. Yeah. You know? so I, I think a, a similar thing happened in, in the music industry. Um, uh, I know you, you worked in the music industry and you were saying how, you know, with the promotional videos, how kind of everything changed overnight with the, them swapping it, making it the other way around. You should be paying us. Um, when, you know, when, when streaming started... Uh, Jimmy Iovine, uh, he's a, a massive mu- music producer. You know, everything changed overnight. It overnight, uh, artists went from getting you know these record deals and millions and millions for this t- to getting nothing because everything was available for free online pirating. And then what he did was he went to Apple and he said, "You need to set up Apple Music." now we need to get this going we need some kind of way for our artists to sell their music because otherwise it's just getting ripped off so i think maybe the answer is you know in for filmmakers that don't embrace this they will lose out and yeah. diminish yeah basically is what is what's going to happen because every person that didn't embrace the streaming services in the music industry they lost their record labels like within days because they just ran out of money and, and a lot of it's ego, you know. With directors, um, film I've just made called To Be Someone, um, that's a little plug. Uh, I couldn't give a toss whether it went on the cinemas. I really couldn't, you know. Put, let's get VOD and let's start getting the money in. But a lot of young directors, they've worn it up there on the big silver screen. 
they don't really care. They're not worried about investors' money. They're just worried about themselves, you know, getting their name up on the screen. Um, so, you know. Yeah. So who's who's your favourite director, if you had to name one? Or do you have a few favourites? Or Well, Scorsese is, is my favourite. Um, yeah. And what's your favourite Scorsese film? Uh, it's got to be, oh, God, Goodfellas. Goodfellas, interesting. I, I like The Departed. I think that's... I didn't that's, really like that film. But the, the Goodfellas for me was the... It, well, I watched Reservoir Dogs and The Goodfellas. And they were around about the same time, weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think and so. And I loved it. I just loved, you know, it was the new Godfather. You know, yeah. The, but then I think he went on to become tedious. You know, I tend to use the same cast all the time because you know what you're getting, you know, um, and you know you can trust them and they'll deliver the performances that you want. Um, but I just got fucking hell. How many times have I got to watch Joe Pesci play yeah. Joe? Yeah, yeah. He plays Joe Pesci. That's so true. Uh, they all do. Like, all of them do. And it's a shame, you know. He don't need to do it. He's sitting in his billionaire's mansion somewhere yeah you think There's I'm more... funny to you am I here to amuse you exactly <laughs> yeah you know what I don't know I've, I don't know what drives them because I take work sometimes because I need to take it you know they yeah. know I'd be more selective because you know I will pick a, a video off a shelf in the day because De Niro's on it because I know it'd be a good film but now that's not the case he's done mm. some Really, really terrible. Yeah, don't don't um, meet in the meet the fuckers and yeah, he, he, he's a gold class actor. I mean, uh, I I watched uh, what I watched the other day with him in Raging Bull, and 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 I tell you what, it, it was it was a very uncomfortable watch, but De Niro's performance in that, I can't believe he's doing films like you know Meet the Fuckers now. It's no, it doesn't sit right. <laughs> no, he's done some really bad. I don't know. He, he might need the money. I suppose you don't know yeah. here, really. That's uh, Scorsese, isn't it? Raging Bull. I'm not sure. No, that I, it, I, it is. I, 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 it I is. think it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's Scorsese. And and so, what do you think? I I mean, I, there's quite a few film students here at Falmouth, and I often talk to them about Quentin Tarantino, and they're always either I absolutely love him or I hate him. He's the worst director of all time. What 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 is your opinion of Quentin? I, I, I really like him. I really like his work. I like the way he executes it. Like you say, he's, he's an educated filmmaker. Um, yeah. You know, and he pushes the boundaries. You know, um, he experiments and he does stuff that a lot of directors wouldn't have the bottle to do, and it, it works. No, you can't tell. He's a fucking brilliant director. Yeah. And what what would you say was his best film, direction-wise? It's all cliched stuff when you say pulp and, and things like that. I don't know. A lot, a lot of I, I think I think it's got to be uh, Pulp Fiction. I, I think it's cliche for a reason. But, 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 but once upon a time in Hollywood, Ray, you've, you've got to watch that. You would love that. Oh, well, and for some reason, I didn't fancy it. A lot of my friends have said, oh... Not all that. But I will watch it. We've got no option now. Yeah, you just got to, you got you got to just bear with it. I mean, I've I've seen it with a few people, and again, they either love or they hate it. But you got to understand, it's it's Quentin Tarantino's love letter to the film industry. You know, it's it's got. I mean, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt 
that's a recipe for success, if you ask cool. me. Um, cool. But yeah. well, that's the Pulp Fiction cliche. I didn't mean it. I mean, everyone's going to say Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And no, but that's true. Fantastic film. It is. But, uh, the man's a genius. Yeah. So um, who did you ever, you know, who inspired you with regards to your work, um, be it acting, producing, directing? What was your main inspirations in life? Or was it just the people that surrounded you in general? Or To be honest, my main inspiration was money. Uh, <laughs> cool. It's one of the best inspirations in the world. Yeah, and I thought, God, oh, this is money for old rope, you know. Um, like I say, when I was a kid, I, I got paid bloody fortunes just doing children's film foundation films and things like that. Um I've obviously got a passion and a love for the industry now, and I obviously am not doing it for the money now because of the budget level of the films that we're making. I just like making films. I like British films. Um, mm. I think we've got brilliant actors. It's just a shame we can't compete with the American films because we haven't got the budgets, and, you know, that's the shame. Um, yeah. That never used to be the case, though, did it? I, I remember, I, I, I swear that at one point, you know, British film was the kind of the in thing. When it when Bond was in its heyday, especially. Yeah, but I mean, there's exceptions, of course. There's exceptions. Yeah. But no, we've never, we could never compete. Like I say, that Bond thing, that one stunt in, in the Bond film cost the entire budget of a film that I had to make. And yeah. uh, you can't compete. And... I've, I've been slagged off, you know, where, where was it? I don't know. So I think I've done a film called Wee Man and uh, really getting slagged off because it, you know, it didn't even look like Glasgow. Well, we weren't allowed to film in Glasgow, number one, and we couldn't afford to build sets. So I had to shoot it in London, you know, simple yeah. as that. Um, but critics were going on and on and on. You know, they didn't even look like Glasgow. Well, it weren't, you know. Get a lot, you know? Yeah. Get a lot. yeah. If it was a Bond film, they'd build bloody Glasgow, wouldn't they? Yeah. Second city, yeah. Oh, you can't compete. I've only got one more question, but I'm going to let, let Ed uh, see if he's got anything, any points you want to raise. Uh, no, I, I was actually going to ask about your inspiration as a director as well, but I love the fact that you're so candid about money. I think there's yeah. probably a lot of people who that is the answer who just aren't willing to say oh, it. I've got a bit more of a story to tell. Is that as a producer, I was hiring directors, you know, to make The Craze, etc., Death Machine, you know, stuff like that. And they were, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were just pain in the arse, mate, you know, they, they're all over you till they sign the contract and then they can't breathe and, you know, I have to have a car here and, you know, I need my podiums and stuff like that. And wobbly is thrown on set. And I thought, you know what, fuck that, I can do this. I can do it. I've yeah. been in the game all my life. So I decided to direct. And then that's it. So I produce and direct myself and, it, you know, and I always keep a producer's hat on looking after the investor's money. And so I know what I can't, can do and can't do. Whereas it, the other way around, if I was hiring a director, it'd be a constant battle. You know, yeah. why can't I have 22 explosions and blow that house? Well, we ain't got the money to do it, mate. 
That's why I become a director. And I enjoy doing it. And sometimes I enjoy acting, you know. Yeah, Depends on how I feel with the time. Mm. Okay. So, uh, you know, what, what I ask, it, this is a bit of a cliche question. Uh, I'm just asking it because I always ask it. Uh, what, what, what would you want your, your legacy to be with regards to your art um, and, you know, your film? Do you care about le- legacy at all or...? Or do you just... I, I, I would like people... Because I, I have fun. I don't... You know, I'm not yeah. up my own ass, you know. And yeah. the last film I've just done, it's all right. It's not a bad film. Um, we had a giggle. It was lockdown. You know, it was coming into lockdown period and we didn't want to make a dark film. And it's an okay film. Watch it. Don't I oh, don't make Ben-Hur, you know. Yeah. That's, it's as simple as that. But I would like people to say, well, you know what, at least he was making films. Yeah. With a passion, using great British actors, you know, and and that's it. He'd done his bit, I suppose, would be my, what do you call it? (laughs) Yeah. done his bit. Now let's go down the pub. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah, that's that's a very good legacy. (laughs) So... uh, this was absolutely fantastic, uh, Ray, and I think we'll say cheers to that. Um, oh, and I hope that you can go down to shop and get your, you know, your, your bag of strong bow soon, and, and, ha- and have a great Friday. Um, <laughs> See you later, boys. And thank See you ya. very, very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. It's been brilliant. No problem. See you later. Bye bye. Goodbye. Bye. Right, so Ed, that was a great episode. Ray is really interesting. Yeah, I loved his. I loved his. Uh, you know his candid viewpoints on, on on everything and how honest he was. Definitely. And he, he actually surprised me in, in, in loads of his opinions of, of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you see, you know, uh, people that had lived in a certain era and you talk to them about, you know, feminism, sexism, racism and all these things, you know, you, you always have an expectation of, oh god what is he gonna say but he had a really modern attitude and open mind to it so it was it was absolutely fantastic I, yeah and, I, and I, I thought that was i thought that was great but i also think that his sort of like candor on the topics at hand where yeah like, I, I think a great example of that was his answer to the um the uh, if you're listening you probably just heard it a, a minute or two ago but his money was originally what drove him to do certain roles and i think that's just a brilliant example of somebody being truthful about their craft. Obviously, you have inspirations for things and etc. Like you want to do stuff because it's personal or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, not enough people recognize that money by itself is a good factor in making decisions, you know, being able to support your family, etc. So I think his candor on topics like that as well was just it was quite refreshing to hear, to be honest. Well, inspiration is motivation, and my motivation is money. Um, so therefore it's my inspiration um, and I think that yeah it was really who, interesting who said episode. that <laughs> I did uh, quote Linus Lampy yeah quote, quote Triple L uh, no I thought it was a, a great episode um, and uh, yeah just guys watch out for if you're listening uh, please make sure you follow the verdict um, on Instagram and all that other stuff it's, Links it's just the, the verdict podcast yeah Links will be in the description and all that rubbish. And also make sure that you uh, follow for Mank if you have time. 
And also remember that we have merch coming out soon, which will be able to win in a number of different ways by the time you're seeing this episode. And to, yeah, just keep watching and keep supporting uh, the podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you. Bye.